if you have your Bibles, turn with me, please, to Proverbs chapter uh, uh, 18. It's always weird when Pastor Dwayne's not here because he usually does the announcements and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, wait, I have to do these things. Um, But we are walking through uh, Proverbs. And uh, this is the last of our series. And so last Sunday morning, um, I, I shared a whole message on creating margin. And I had a precious saint come up to me and say, Pastor Dave, that's been the worst message yet. And uh, it wasn't because it was a terribly preached message or anything like that, just because it was one of those like, ouch, ouch. How many know that God's word sometimes makes us a little bit uncomfortable? And how many know that's a good thing? You see, I, this is what I think. I think that God wants to sharpen our lives. And so in order to sharpen our lives, we actually have to rub up some rub up against some difficult stuff. How many can say amen for this one? And so we're going to finish up our series on a way forward. And this one may also be a bit of an oh me message or an ouch message or however you want. Um, But I think that as we deal with this, it invites us, gives us the opportunity to actually grow and become what God has called us to do. And so we are going to talk about dealing with offense. Anybody here ever been offended? How many here ever offended somebody, right? I like to consider myself an equal opportunity offender. If I haven't offended you yet, at some point I will, and um, I'm sorry. Um, it's just life, right? Um, but, but as we talk about it, and, and the reason I think this is so important is because we go through life, we hit the bumps, we, we go through these times and these moments where we experience offense, and we're trying to figure out how do we manage it. How do we get beyond it? And just so you know, there are lots of people who want to speak into our offense. Like our friends care about us, and and because of it, we go through difficult times and difficult seasons, and and so they want to lean in, and they want to give us advice. How many have well-meaning friends that sometimes give horrible advice, right? And, 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 And the truth is, is like, how do we manage this? Because this is what I know. That life is filled with, with, with friction and, and, and there's all these different things that rub up against us and, and how we respond to them and in them affects what we experience down the road. And this is why wisdom is so necessary. Proverbs is a book that is an accumulation of pithy sayings that help God's people make better decisions in the present to positively impact their future. And because of it, it's pictured, you know, the biblical wisdom is pictured as a path that we journey, that there's a road that we're supposed to walk down, and if we do it, we'll find a path to life, yet yet there's also other paths that that seem enticing at times, but ultimately they lead to destruction. And I think this happens with offense many times. I've heard it said, the best part of life and the worst part of life can be people. I mean, know that to be true. I mean, like, there's been some of the best people, made your life like a joyful, like you think about those people, like I love them. And then there's other people who are like going, oh, ooh. those are not people. Like people are the best of life sometimes and the worst of life. And how do we, how do we deal with this? Now, I think in our culture today, we have weaponized offense. That, that everybody is offended and, and we leverage offense against one another and, and we use offense to shut things down, to, to shut down conversations, to shut down relationships. Like we cancel people, we, we, we ostracize people, we do all these things. And, and this is what I understand about offense. That, that, that when we allow offense to take root in our hearts, when we begin to live from that place, not only does it erode relationships, it actually poisons the soul. I, I believe that, that if we are people who, who are of, in perpetual offense, that there's something dark and sinister that actually begins to erode uh, the, the very core of who we are as people. I heard it said once, because when we carry, carry these offenses, sometimes our hearts get so bitter. I heard somebody say once that bitterness is the poison we drink while we wait for the other person to die. And the truth is sometimes the, the offense that we have begins to gnaw at us and eat at us and wear us down. Yet even though there's lots of voices that will tell us how to manage offense, God has a way forward for us in the midst of offense. 
that God has something to say. And, and as we look at Proverbs, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to look at a single proverb and we're going to draw some ideas from it and reflect on a few others. But I believe that God has something to say to us regarding offense. And so this is what Proverbs 18, 19 says. An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. Disputes are like barred gates of a citadel. I, I, I want to read that again. An, an offended brother is more unyielding. Everybody say unyielding. Okay, that, that means it's not giving. Okay, so an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. And disputes are like barred gates of a citadel. I, I want to note three things about this proverb. First of all, I want us to, to understand that, that in life, conflict is an inevitable part of just living. How many know this to be true? That conflict is inevitable. Where there's motion, there's friction. And, and just wherever you get two people in, in the same space, at some point, they're going to run into one another. You ever do this watching kids run around all frenetically? And then there's that meeting of the minds. They run headlong into one another. I, I remember playing hockey, and uh, back in the days when I was much smaller and less coordinated, and I had the puck, and I thought I was doing great, and I was skating down the ice, and then there was another kid coming straight at me. He was going for the puck, and there was a moment where we tried to occupy the same space at the exact same time, and all I remember, because you wear face masks, so there's cages, and all I remember is his cage and my cage met at an exact moment. It was the funniest thing. It's like, twang. And I'm like, what do you do? And the truth is, is whenever you put people together in any room, all of a sudden there's conflict. All of a sudden there's going to be things that we're going to begin to run, rub up against. And the reason that conflicts arise are, are, are numerous. They include things like we have different expectations. How many of you, when you came to marriage, had a set of expectations about what married life was going to look like and what spouses do. And then found out that, wow, we have different expectations. And how many know when expectations are, 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 are missing, it creates conflict? Not only that, sometimes we have different wants. We have different things that, that we're like, we're, we're trying to reach in life and, and in so doing it causes us to come into conflict because sometimes our wants are not in align with one another. And even if we have similar wants, we often have different strategies, different ways to get them, get, uh, to, to getting them. And as a result, we experience conflict. Now, I think this whole idea of conflict and hurt and offense actually exposes something about the human heart. I think it, it begins to expose a, a darkness in the human heart because part of this conflict that is arising arises simply because there is an elevation of self that sometimes hurts and harms others. That sometimes life becomes about us, our wants, our needs, our way. And in so doing, we run headlong into people. And as a result, our life is filled with dissonance and hurt. And we're all familiar with this because how many of us, like I, I don't care how old you are, as long as you've been living, like you've dealt with hurt. And we experience hurt across a, a, a total spectrum of, of being. Sometimes we experience incredible pain and hurts physically. I know in a room such as this, um, there's people that have, that have been through incredible physical trauma. Sometimes at the hands of uncaring or unkind parents, unloving parents. Sometimes it's other people. And it becomes a deep burden that you carry. And, and, and how do you negotiate and navigate life after the trauma that you've experienced? So sometimes we bear wounds in our being because of physical pain. Sometimes it's verbal. Have you ever noticed that sometimes as humans we use words as weapons? 
And, and because of it, there, there, are, there, are, there are offenses, there are, there are hurts, there are pains that we experience. Proverbs 11.9 says, with his mouth, the godless destroys his neighbor. That, that there are times that, that with the words that are said, it, it, it's, it, it's spoken. How many know that when you speak something, you can't call it back? And how many know sometimes words that are spoken can't be unheard? And there are some people who continue to live their life and they keep hearing something that was spoken about them many, many years ago. I, I know a precious uh, lady who, when she was a youth, she was singing in church. She loved to sing. She loved to worship God. And um, somebody told her that she didn't have a beautiful voice or a pretty voice. And she internalized that message, and so when she would be in church, she wouldn't sing out loud. Because every time she was in that space, she was reminded of the voice that said, you can't sing. And i got to tell you, sometimes the, the things that have been spoken to us have wounded so deeply, and we carry the hurts and we carry the weight of what is spoken, and, and even though we try to, to push away the voice we still hear it and wrestle with it. So sometimes the conflict, there's, a, there's, there's physical things we deal with, there's verbal, and sometimes there's psychological. Where we begin to, where, where people can be injured at the very core of who they are. It happens when people begin to use intimidation to control and to, and, and, and to control other people's lives. Some people use fear to get their way, other people use alienation. They withhold themselves. So having done enough um, uh, relationship counseling and stuff like that, I, I know that often what happens in the midst of conflict, there's a, there's a reducing into yourself, and sometimes what happens is, is there's a withholding of self from another person. Other times, isolation or alienation is created not just by th this idea of withholding, but sometimes we invite our friends to withhold as well. We see this manifest in, our, in, in a cancel culture where if, if one person doesn't espouse a certain position, then, then we try and get as many people as possible to withhold as much as we can from them in order to diminish them. And I want you to understand, that is a very dark place to get to. Now, I don't know about you, but, but, but I watch what goes on in our culture, and, and my heart hurts, not only because there's this offense, but what it's doing to people how it's darkening, how it's corrupting individuals, how it's ruining relationships. And so we have intimidation, we have alienation, but there's also diminishment where there's, there, there can simply be a demeaning of other people. Now, the reason why I speak about these things is because at some point in your journey, in my journey, we've all experienced this. And it's a burden that we carry and we're trying to figure out, how do I manage this? How do I, how do I walk through this? How do I live beyond it? Because the reality is, is the pain and trauma of conflict impacts how we go through life. And if we don't learn to deal with offense in a constructive way, what it will do is it will begin to, to cause us to function in an, in an unhealthy manner relationally. And we'll miss out on the fullness of life that God offers us. So as we look at this passage, we see that conflict is an inevitable part of life. But not only that, the proverb reminds us that we build walls and citadels to survive. So the, the language of this proverb is great because it says this again, an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city and disputes are like barred gates of a citadel. And, and, and you know, we, we hear the metaphors of, you know, fortified cities or walled cities, and, and, and we hear about this idea of citadels, which we're, we may be familiar with if we watch certain genres of movies or watch or read certain literature. Um, but walled cities don't do a whole lot to protect. But back in the day, um, the, the way you would protect a city or populace is you would, you would build these enormous walls. And there would be gates within the walls so people could come and go. But the moment there was a perceived threat, man, those walls, they stood firm and the gates got barred in order to keep whatever was threatening out. 
And so if you read through history, you'll find that there's always these great sieges that are laid up against cities where different groups or different armies come to attack or an army comes to attack a city and they will just surround it and they will try to wait the people out. And the people in the city, when the walls are up, will all of a sudden, you know, they'll be deprived of the food and they have to live on the stores that are present. And then all of a sudden, people will begin to do things in order to survive. And so there's a wonderful, not a wonderful, a terrible story in Kings where there was a siege laid against a city. And it got to the place where people were so desperate, they were like, they were discussing about whose children do we kill in order that we might eat. Because in certain city settings, when the siege is against you and the walls are so tight, it's amazing what people begin to do in order to survive. The citadel would be the place generally toward the center of the city that was the place of last resort. Because what would happen is as armies would be able to breach the walls and would finally get over, Who, whoever was alive and the, you know, the, the different people, they would try and move to the citadel, which would be a reinforced building where there were stores and weapons, and it was a place where people could make a last stand. Because we just got to survive. The writer of this proverb notices that which takes place in regards to, to nations and cities is something that is even more um, insidious or more detrimental to individuals. It says, an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. An offended brother is more unyielding. You see, there's something that happens when we go through hurt. We begin to build walls in order to protect our hearts. Because of past hurts and fears, we erect incredible structures within our lives to keep threats at bay. Sure, we may have gates that allow the the, the moving in and out, and sometimes we can let people into our lives for a season, but the moment there's a perceived threat, it's amazing how we begin to shut people out. So, I, so I've, I've watched people for years, I've, I've served people and I love people, and I have watched people that the moment pain and, 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 and threat comes into their life, they begin to shrink the circle and they shut the doors and they bar the gates and they're just like, we're not letting anyone in. And many times they'll even retreat to a citadel. And they go there because they're trying to make their last stand. The problem with this, so we all have hurts we have to deal with. That's part of life. We build these elaborate structures in order to guard our hearts. Yet the tragedy is this, is that our offenses eventually become our prisons. That the walled city, that thing that we construct to guard our heart becomes the prison to which you and I become bound. And this is the thing that I believe that breaks the heart of God so much because he says, I want you to flourish. I have created you and called you that you might have life, life more abundantly, yet so many people. They carry the burden of their hurts from their past, from the different conflicts that they've been through. There's an offense that has arisen in their heart. There are walls that they have constructed. And because of it, they're not able to flourish. You see, when our offense becomes our prison, it does a number of things. One of the things that it will do is it will stunt our growth. Did you know that our offense, the place of our offense, becomes the relational lid on our life? That when, when, we, when we experience an offense or a hurt, it becomes a place because of the guarded walls we build. We say, you know what, we are not going to let people get any closer than this. And it becomes a relational lid. 
And sometimes I have watched people who they go through a, se a season where there's incredible pain and heartache, and then like they leave it, and they say, oh, I'll go find someone else, and they find someone else, and all of a sudden, some of the pains that they were in before, they're experiencing again, and they're like, well, that's got to be bad, so let's go over here. And so they go to the different relationship, but what they don't realize is that they're actually bringing an offense to each relationship, and as soon as the relationship begins to approach the area of tension, they shut it down. Did you know that your emotions are incredibly powerful? How am I going to give witness on this one? But did you know that your emotions aren't terribly precise? And what they begin to do sometimes is they begin to project yesterday's hurts into today's circumstances, and it's affecting how we live. And the reason is, is because the emotion is similar to what we've been through before. And it becomes a prison. And many times, relationships can't grow past the place of offense. Not only does it stunt our growth, it also limits our potential. It, 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 it doesn't allow our circles to expand, to allow us to grow in relationship. And not only that, that our offenses become a prison, stunts our growth, limits our potential, and also mars our identity. And we see ourselves as victims of circumstances, and we become defined by those who hurt us. And in so doing, we bring our offenders with us. And we give them a vote, even in abstentia, over our lives. This takes place not only in relationships between individuals, this also takes place in relationship with church. I know there are some people because of an offense that they've experienced in a church in the past, will say, you know what, I won't even have a relationship with church in the present. And what it does is it limits us from experiencing the grace and the goodness that God has for our lives and to allow us to experience the flourishing we were created for. See, this is what we have to understand as, as we look at this proverb, that, that we have to deal with offenses. We have to deal with those, those places and those moments where our hearts are bruised and hurt and harmed, where we have to wrestle through all these pieces so that we don't have to keep living from the past, but we can live toward the future that God has for us, to live lives for His purpose. So how do we begin to deal with offense? Like I said, your friend is going to give you opinions and ideas Facebook will tell you how to do it, or Snapchat, TikTok, however you want to do it, what to do with relationships. Our culture will tell you what to do. But if we're going to experience flourishing, I'm convinced we need to ask God, what is it he'd have us do? So how do we begin to deal with offense? How do we deal with it from a biblical perspective? Now, I want you to know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some things, and this is where I go to my, this is going to be like, a, oh, this isn't what I would choose. This isn't what the world says. I'm like, yeah, that's right, it's not. This is what God says. How do we deal with offense so that we don't have to be defined by our history, but we can live a life that leads us toward flourishing? The first thing we need to do is we need to encounter Christ. Did you know that Jesus knows us completely? He sees us. He has seen our good days and he has seen our bad days. He has seen that which wounds us. And he cares so deeply for us. See, the whole reason Jesus came was for broken people. People who were marred and hurt by, by the conflicts they were a part of. You see, wherever there is sin there's brokenness. That's what it leads to. Even from the very first sin that we find in the Bible, the, the, the consequence, what was a corrupting of relationship, a ruining of lives. And Jesus came to redeem and restore that which is broken by sin. The reason Jesus came was so that he, we might know and find a way that we can deal with our offense in a way that we don't have to be defined by it. You see, Jesus offers us healing. 
He dealt with, with the brokenness of life so that he could transform the broken. So, so think about this. This is the amazing story of the gospel, that God saw our need, that he left the glories of heaven, took humanity upon himself, walked a dusty earth, and then died on the cross. And why did he die on the cross? To carry our sins. To pay the price for every sin. To heal our brokenness. You see, Jesus came in order to, 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 to help us experience freedom. Some, some here... The voices and experiences of the past are so powerful and real in your life that it's defining so much. And Jesus is like, listen, I want you to know life. See, Jesus came and, and he announced his purpose in Luke 4, 18 and 19. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The idea of the year of the Lord's favor is the fact that you don't have to live a life defined by your history. You get to live free. And the place that you and I, where we deal with the offense, when we deal with the hurts, when we deal with the bumps and bruises that come through life, whether they're intentional or whether they're malicious, the place that we need to deal with them is in the presence of God. We need to encounter Christ. Like for me, this has been something that I've tried to practice over and over. Because I know what it's like to live with people. It can be hard. People can say things. And how quickly you want to like respond and lash out. How you sometimes want to hurt back. One of the things that I've learned to do is I've learned to bring my hurts into the presence of Christ. This is the way I do it. I don't know how you do it, but this is how I do it. See, I think that faith is more than just ideas. I think faith has to be embodied. So, so instead of just being, you know, a people that have ideas, I think there's a way that we're called to live. And in order to live it, it, it should be expressed throughout our being, which includes even physically. And so part of it for me, this is how I deal with my stuff. I come with my hands like this. And I come before God and I say, okay, God, here's my hurts. Here's my frustrations. Here are the memories. Here are the voices. God, I'm bringing them to you. And just so you know, I have very frank conversations with God, and the reason is, is because he knows all of me. He knows what I'm feeling and thinking. And this stuff, listen, some of the stuff that I have to go through uh, makes me quite upset. And so I don't mind telling God that I'm a little upset. God, I'm angry about this. Boy, this, this, ugh. God, I'm a little ticked off right now. Right? I, I, this, these are my honest prayers, and I come to him like this. Because this is the burden, this is the weight that I'm carrying. This is the stuff that threatens to keep me from experiencing the life I was called and created for. And what am I going to do with it? So I bring it into his presence and I say, God, this is what it is. And Jesus, I need you. And because he's the one who bear, bore in his body all the weight of sin... I just remind him, I can't carry this, so God, I'm going to give it to you. And I flip my hands over and I say, okay, God, I'm giving this to you. This is your stuff. I, I, can't, I can't keep holding on to this. I can't hold on to those memories, those voices, those hurts. I can't do it because all it's doing is it's, it's, it's doing something to me. It's affecting how I'm relating to the people around me. God, if I'm not careful, Lord, I have to give this to you. That makes sense? And then I flip my hands back over. And I say, God, I just need your grace today. I need your healing. And I need your help. You see, this is what I know about our God. He cares about us so much. He wants to pour grace into our lives. Sometimes we don't have room in our hands for the grace of God because we're holding on to too much. 
And this is why we have to say, okay, God, this is my stuff. I'm giving it to you so that I can make room for what you have for me. When you begin to do that, you'll be surprised how God will begin to change some of the stuff in you. Some of the deep stuff. Some of the secrets. Some of the fears. Because we encounter Christ, because when you encounter Jesus, he changes everything. If we're going to deal with offense, not only do we need to encounter Christ, we also have to choose to love. We have to choose to love. So when I was young and dumb, a couple weeks ago, Um, I'm just kidding. When I, when, I was, when I was a kid, teenager, we used to play a slapping game. Okay, if you're, if you're a youth here, don't do this. This is the wrong game to play. But this is the way the game went. You'd find a friend, because you usually didn't play this with enemies. You'd play with a friend. And then what you did is you slap your friend lightly in the face. This was the rule. They got to hit you back based on their perception of how hard they hit you. And so it would start out with smack, and then the smacks would only intensify until you experienced great pain. Right, great pain. Um, here's the thing about that. Our perception of the offense against us always is greater than the offense. And we acted that, and in so doing, when we act out of our offense toward another person, they perceive it greater than that which is given, and it causes everything to escalate. They actually, back in Jesus' day, they had a law that they created in order to help create a more just society because they knew the human capacity to cause more hurt than the hurt they received because we amplify that sense. They actually came up with a legal doctrine called Lex Telionis, which Jesus recites. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. How many remember that? The reason that law was actually an improvement was because if somebody took your eye, you couldn't take their eye and half their face. You know, you could only take their eye. That's it. You couldn't escalate it. It had to be of equal proportion. Okay, so that was actually an improvement. But Jesus is like, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, and then he goes on and he says, no, what, what you need to do is you need to love your enemy. What? Because what Jesus was desirous to do was to stop the cycle of violence and actually bring healing so that flourishing could take place. And the only way that happens is through love. The writer of Proverbs in Proverbs 17.9 says, whoever would foster love covers an offense. It means that love has more power than the offense. Let me ask you in your life, what has more power? The offense done to you or the love that's at work in you? You know how you know is when you see that person, how do you respond to them? When you think about that person, how do you respond? See, what is more powerful in our life? Is it the love we have or the offense we have? 
If it's the offense we have, it will only create greater offense. And this is what we are called to do different. This is what Jesus wants us to understand, that his followers for his followers. So if you're not a follower of Christ, you're off the hook, maybe. If you're a follower of Christ, this is what we are called to do. We are called to live lives where love is the defining ethic. Toward God, toward others, and toward ourselves. Do you remember the two great commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. How many know it's hard to love your neighbor if you don't love yourself? And this is why we need to have a love that is rooted not in, in sentimentality or, or, or pop culture. We need to have a love that's rooted in who Jesus is. And this is why Jesus um, goes on to tell his disciples, love one another as I have loved you, so you must. Everybody say must. Okay, do you hear wiggle room in that? How many like wiggle room? How many love looking for loopholes? Like, love your neighbor. It says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciple if you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must. How did Jesus love us? Did you know that when Jesus walked this earth, there were those that called him names? There were those who smeared his character. He's a drunken. He's drunk. He's demon-possessed. He's a Samaritan. He's the kind of guy that hangs out with prostitutes and tax collectors. Like Jesus not only had, had people try to smear him and, and mess with his character, uh, he had people who beat him and bludgeoned him and crucified him. One of the prayers that I, I continually am amazed at is I don't know how good I am at praying this prayer. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. Did you know the love of God, even for his enemies, is amazing? Those who cause hurt, those who reject him, he still loves. And the truth is, is that love needs to become evident in our interactions. See, how do you begin to deal with offense in your life? You, you have to choose to love. Because loving is not the natural response to offense. That's why we must choose it. We must live it. The church in Corinth was having problems as a church. How many know churches have problems at times? And so Paul writes the church. And this church thought, well, we are the greatest church on God's green earth. And the reason is, is because we have all these spiritual things. Like we're a really spiritual church. And they have signs and wonders. And, and there's like speaking in tongues and all these things. And, and Paul says, listen, if you speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, you're just making noise. Because listen, being loud is just being loud if there's not love. He goes on to say this. If you have faith that can move mountains, right? You're, how many know that's pretty cool? He says this. If you're the kind of church where, where you surrender your body to the flames, where you say, you know what, we will stand for Jesus, we'll be the, we will be the pillars and the light in our community. And he says, but you don't have love, you're nothing. He says, even if you give 
all you have. You give, you get, you become a generous church. You don't have love, you gain nothing. See, how do we begin to stop the cycle? We begin to love. And, and, and in a very tangible way, I love this list because we often read this at marriages. And just so you know, this works for marriages. But it's something that we need to live, whether it's within the community of the church and the community in our world. But it says this, love is patient. Okay, so if you're driving down the road and you're annoyed by your neighbor who's driving so slow, maybe you need to love them because you're actually more concerned about your own timetable than theirs. You're more concerned about you. So if they slow you down, why don't you pray for them? Why don't you love them? Okay, that was for me. That wasn't for anyone out there because there's people that annoy the tar out of me. <laughs> Just get off the road. Anyway, speaking blessings to them, Lord. Anyway, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. If you are so angered by the people around you or the people in your presence that little things light you up, um, you may need to work on this love thing. It keeps no record of wrongs, which I just want you to know, which really stinks in a good marital spat when you can't keep a record of wrongs. Because it's so much fun to bring up like the past decades of behavior. Because how many know that makes the fight so much better? Right? Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. How do we begin to deal with offense in our life? We begin to love. We begin to love like Jesus. Listen, if you love like Jesus, you're going to change your marriage. You're going to change the way you interact with your kids. You're going to change the way you, 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 you interact in your community. If you love like Jesus, loving like Jesus changes everything. And it begins to set you free from yesterday. Okay, which brings me to my last thing. You're like, hallelujah, because this is just getting long and painful. We need to encounter Christ. We need to choose to love. And lastly, we need to practice forgiveness. If we are going to deal with offense, we have to practice forgiveness. The biblical conception of forgiveness is actually the idea of releasing or untying. It means this, that when you've been hurt, when you've been harmed by someone, you're tied to them, aren't you? Like you, you bring them along with you wherever you go. You hear their voice. You're reminded of what they've done to slight you. You've got all that stuff. You're bringing them with you. Yet forgiveness is letting them go. How can you experience a life of flourishing if you've tied yourself to the hurts of the past? You can't. Now, whenever I talk about forgiveness, I always get objections. Um, I get people saying, well, you don't know what they've done for me. And, and I always concede, you're absolutely right. I don't know what's been done to you. How many know people can be pretty awful at times? I may not know what others have done to you, but I understand what God has done for you. The reason we can forgive isn't because of what others have done. It's because of what he has done. And when we begin to understand that he has forgiven us, that that forgiveness becomes a way by which we can give forgiveness to others. Because we don't have to be defined by our hurts. Yet often we feel people owe us something. 
And so because they owe us, we're, we're a, we don't want to forgive them. And it can be as simple as this. They owe me an apology. How many of you waiting for someone to tell you sorry? <sighs> well, when they say they're sorry, right? Hey, listen. We give forgiveness as a gift to others because we've received it as a gift ourselves. The truth is, is that some of us like to hold on to our offenses because it gives us leverage over other people or it gives us an excuse not to change. So we hold on to our offenses. So I have a friend who's a pastor who said this. I like it. Getting offended is proof that your flesh is still alive. Staying offended is proof that your flesh is still in control. I'm going to say that again. Okay? Y'all nod your head if you're like, yeah, that's true. Okay, just, there we go. Getting offended is proof that your flesh is still alive. Staying offended is proof that your flesh is still in control. See, there are some parts of our lives that we're not quick to surrender. And sometimes we hold on to our offenses. But we need to understand that forgiveness frees us in the present. Sorry, forgiveness in the present frees us from the past so we can flourish in the future. And we have to make the decision to forgive. And, and, and this, is what I, this is the way I, I process my forgiveness piece. I have to choose to forgive people and remind myself that I have forgiven them. Does that make sense? I have to remind myself, oh yeah, they're forgiven. That debt is canceled. They owe me Nothing. Listen. Offense happens in life. Conflict is inevitable. And each of us have survival skills that we have developed in order to keep our hearts from being hurt. More than just not having our hearts hurt, we need our hearts healed. And the only one who can do that is Jesus. And my prayer is, God, would you help us not to be prisoners of our offense? But may we experience his grace and goodness so that we can live the life that he called us, that he has called us to. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you're at work. I thank you that you want to bring us life and you want to bring healing. Father, even in this place and in this moment. Lord, there's stuff that we've been through that has been huge and hurtful. There's been physical violations. There are words that have been spoken that have wounded so deeply. Lord, there are things that have um, just impacted us psychologically right, right at the core of who we are. And God, I thank you that you offer us grace to transform our lives. God, we need you. Jesus, we need you in this moment to begin a work of healing in our hearts and in our lives. Lord Jesus, we need to make the decision to choose to love even those who have hurt us or to practice forgiveness. Lord, all of this stuff is way bigger than us. And Lord, we need you. And just while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, how many here would say, you know what, th there are some things that I have been through that um, 
There's some offenses that I carry. Maybe it's something that happened long ago. Maybe it's something that's recent. And it's, it's a burden that you carry. And, and it's something that's trapping you and binding you. It's not allowing you to live free. And you're saying, you know what? I need Christ. I need Jesus to do a work in my heart. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Because I want to pray with you. All right, see those hands. Thank you. Is there anyone else? So I'm going to pray. And what I want everyone to do is I want you to just put your hands out in front of you. So Lord, here we are in your presence. And God, you see our lives. You see our history, but you know our hurts. Lord Jesus, you see those who have um, who have wounded us so deeply. Lord, you see how it affects our identity or how we relate to others. Lord, we need your grace even now. We bring our hurts bring our frustrations. Let's turn our hands over as a sign of release. And so, Lord, we surrender them to you. Lord, in this moment, we choose to let go of offense that we may make room for your grace. Lord, we give you our hurts and our fears. Lord, we, we, we give you our, our sins and our mistakes and our foolishness. Let's turn our hands over. And Lord, we do that in order that we might receive grace and mercy and healing. Lord, we can't do this on our own. We need you. So, Lord, even now, by your Spirit, we ask that you would begin to fill. Lord, that you would begin to soften our hearts. That you would begin to change our thinking. That, Lord, we would allow our identity to be found in in you. Lord, we receive your grace. We receive your mercy, we receive your healing, we receive your freedom. In Jesus' name.